Hello, and welcome to The Promise of Discovery, a podcast where members and investigators at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center talk about their research in intellectual and developmental disabilities. Good afternoon. My name is Emily and I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Biggs, a Vanderbilt Kennedy Center member and a professor in the Department of Special Education at Peabody College here at Vanderbilt. Uh, so say hello, Elizabeth. Hey, Emily, and hey, everyone. So while we're here today to talk about the Enhanced Peer Network project that we're working on, um, just to get started, I'd like to know a little bit more about you and how you became involved in your work. So to start, what is your position at Vanderbilt and how long have you been in this role? Yeah, I'm an assistant professor of special education at Vanderbilt. This is my third year in the role. So I actually previously served as an assistant professor of special education at the University of Illinois. Uh, what's interesting is coming to Vanderbilt and to Nashville three years ago really felt like coming like home, coming back home rather. Um, I got my PhD here in the department in 2017, and so it's been exciting uh, to call Nashville and to call Vanderbilt home again. Thanks for sharing. So how did you really get interested in disability research? Yeah, my career uh, working with children with disabilities really started in the field of special education. Specifically, I was a special education teacher at an elementary school on the Navajo Nation uh, near Gallup, New Mexico. And my caseload, the students that I served were really primarily students with developmental disabilities, such as autism or intellectual disability, who had pretty extensive needs for support. So needs for support kind of across different domains and different times of their lives. And also kids who had complex communication needs, uh, meaning they weren't able to use verbal speech uh, to meet kind of their daily communication needs and relied instead on other ways of communicating like gestures or non-word sounds or also things like um, augmentative and alternative communication, which refers to other ways of communicating like picture symbols or even speech generating devices. And so it was there uh, working with those children that I became really interested in and also passionate about two things. The first is giving kids access to the power of communication. And the second was really working to find ways that schools could be more inclusive. And so related to that first idea, the power of communication, as a teacher in those classrooms, I got to see what a difference it really does make to help children learn to communicate effectively with others. And so for kids who can't use speech to communicate for various reasons, augmentative and alternative communication or AAC really has that power for them. And related to that second idea around inclusion, I just long to see my students not just be present in their classrooms alongside their peers without disabilities, but to really be like a central part of the fabric of everyday life in those schools and classrooms. So I wanted them to be fully engaged in the learning and social life in their classrooms, to be known by other people and to be accepted for who they were, uh, to be heard that their voices and their contributions would be valued, that they'd be seen as members of their school and classrooms who had, who had great things to contribute and that they'd be befriended, that they would truly have deep, meaningful friendships with their peers without disabilities. And so as a teacher, it was really clear to me that when I thought about these two things, giving kids access to the power of communication and really supporting belonging and membership, 
it was clear to me that we could be doing more and really I could be doing more to support these two goals. But it also wasn't quite clear to me how to do this. Like how practically can we do both of these things? And so wanting to find those answers, both for myself and also for other educators and other service providers who are working with kids with these types of characteristics, those are the things that really drove me into research, that drove me to Vanderbilt, drove me to pursue my PhD, and ultimately now drive the work that I'm doing uh, in day-to-day research. That's really interesting to hear how, I've heard some of that, but it's interesting to see all of that together. So next, we're going to talk a little bit more about the research that you're doing uh, related to this Enhanced Peer Network project. Um, But before we dive into the project itself, I think it could be helpful for us to talk a little bit about uh, more broadly, like what even a peer network is. So could you start by just telling us a little bit about what a peer network is? Yeah, I agree, Emily. That's a great starting point. So a peer network is a group of friendships, right? It is a group of relationships. And so peer networks really just emphasize how important social connections and relationships are for children to have with their peers. Obviously, these types of social connections and relationships have all sorts of important roles in the lives of children. Um, They can promote mental health. They promote social emotional well-being. But they're also really important for development, like helping kids learn language, helping kids learn social skills and how to relate to themselves um, and kind of understand themselves and also relate to others. And for a lot of kids, building relationships with peers can come pretty naturally and social relationships or even interactions don't take a lot of support necessarily. But for many kids who have intellectual and developmental disabilities, including autism, we see in kind of day-to-day schools that social interactionships and social interactions and relationships with peers just don't come that naturally. So there's actually been studies even looking at this that show some of these kids, particularly kids who have complex communication needs and don't sort of have the same ways of interacting as their peers who don't have disabilities. These kids kids can sometimes go days on end at school without really experiencing much in the way of positive interaction with their peers. Instead, when they interact at school, it's like with the adults who are providing them support. So a peer network intervention then recognizes first that these social inter- social relationships with peers are crucial, that they're so important and really at the very heart of what it means um, to kind of live and be in school. Peer network interventions are also really built on the idea that many of the things that make all of this really hard in schools, so many of the things that make social interactions hard, many of the things that make social relationships hard among kids with and without disabilities are not actually related to the kids with disabilities. Instead, it's all the stuff related to the school and the environment. So if you think for a minute about how you became friends with someone, It's probably things like seeing that person multiple times across lots of environments or doing things together and having shared experiences or being able to connect some way around something that you have in common with that friend. Well, of course, those are the same things that can really support friendships among kids with and without disabilities in school, but they're not happening naturally. So in many schools, kids are spending more time in special education settings without their peers with disability, without their peers and with adults and don't have those sorts of opportunities. So if we can support a shared understanding and culture of belonging and friendship and inclusion, if we can promote ways for kids to have fun doing things together, 
if we can help kids with without disabilities see the things that they have in common and also have ways to effectively communicate with one another, we would expect that those sorts of changes could have a real impact here. So your question was, what is a peer network? Well, it's an intervention that seeks to address all these things, all of these different environmental factors that can really either facilitate or impede social interactions and relationships among kids with and without disabilities. So a peer network intervention is an effort, an intentional effort to support kids' social integration and really social outcomes for kids with disabilities by first inviting a small number of peers who don't have disabilities to form what's called a network with that student with a disability, essentially a social group where kids are committed to one another, to getting to know one another, to being friends with one another. Second, then arranging the school day so that this peer network has the opportunity to get together and to do fun things together. And then all while providing adult support to help kids really navigate any challenges they might have, but also making sure that adult is really feeding their support so that they're not inserting themselves kind of too directly in the actual relationships among children or among youth. Peer networks like this sort of intervention model have been evaluated in the research literature quite a bit, including for young children in elementary schools and also for older youth, like in middle and in high schools. They obviously look a little bit different. So when it comes to those lower elementary grades, it might look like a playgroup where kids are playing with toys or other sorts of things. In kind of those secondary levels, middle and high school, they may not be playing with toys, but instead doing things like service learning projects or listening to music together. And I wouldn't say that peer networks are quite an everyday practice, but there are actually many schools and districts who've really seen and recognized the effectiveness of these, in fact, quite simple interventions. And they're working to implement them, which is quite exciting. Thank you. I think that was a really helpful overview of exactly what a peer network is. Uh, which leads really naturally into talking about the project that we're working on because we are talking about enhanced peer networks. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about what you're studying through this enhanced peer network project? Yeah, definitely. So we've just received funding for a four-year grant through the Institute for Education Sciences, which is also called IES, uh, to really enhance or improve or further develop this intervention model specifically so that it can be even more effective for younger children with autism who have complex communication needs. So these are also children who might be called non-speaking or children who are minimally verbal, meaning they are not able to use you know, speaking or day-to-day -day language in the same way that we are uh, to meet their daily communication needs. So the reason why we're really focused on this group of children is that there are some of the kids with disabilities who really have the most substantial needs for social and communication support. And so we want to make sure that this intervention model can really be improved to address some of the unique needs that these kids have when it comes to being able to communicate and relate well with their peers and for their peers to be able to communicate and relate well with them. But there's a second piece there too, um, going back to those like two key goals that I had all along, it was to support inclusion, to support relationships and belonging, but also to really give kids the power of communication. And so for these kids in particular, if we can kind of leverage this exciting context with peers as a way of actually teaching communication skills and social skills that those kids can take with them into other relationships and into their lives, um, that would be quite exciting. So those are our goals really in enhancing it is to kind of focus in on these kids who might have more intensive needs for support, 
to really leverage this context to give them the power of communication. So we're focused really specifically on younger children in kindergarten to third grade. Uh, and also, again, these kids with autism who have some pretty significant social and communication needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about why this is an important topic to study? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons why this is really important. So one is that children with autism who are non-speaking or minimally verbal have complex communication needs, whichever sort of, of, of term you're using to describe these kids who aren't able to speak yet to meet their communication needs. These kids have often been excluded from other research. And so that includes other research more broadly, but even looking at peer networks specifically, they haven't been well represented in this research literature. And some researchers have even called this group of students like the neglected end of the spectrum, like that, that when we think about autism research, we have just this incredible body of autism research focused on many kids with autism, um, but much less understanding when it comes to kids who are non-speaking um, and how to support their social communication development and outcomes. For me, that's part of the rationale, but it also goes back to kind of those early experiences in schools and wanting to do those two things, give kids the power of communication and then really help them related to relationships and friendships with peers. And I think it's important to say that like, that's just as important for the kids without disabilities as for these children with autism. So being friends with classmates who have disabilities can have just an incredibly profound and positive impact on children who don't have disabilities. When I think about what I want for my own children, one of whom happens to be like right in this age range, she's a second grader. What I want for her is that she understands issues of belonging and inclusion, that she understands disability as a natural part of like the diversity of the human experience, and that she has the opportunity to get to know and befriend kids in her class and kids in her school and kids in her community who have disabilities. And so when we think about kind of why are we doing this, certainly it's hopeful to improve outcomes for children with autism themselves, but also really for their peers. Awesome. I think that's such a great point. And I think that's definitely something I have seen and really come to value through our work is that reciprocity and the back and forth interaction as well. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the process of how you are studying enhanced peer networks. Yeah, so this is a four-year grant project, and we are just getting started. Uh, IES, which was the funding agency, has some grants that are called Development and Innovation Grants, and that's what this is. It means that they're really focused on developing an intervention model or strategies over time, and there's kind of two key components of that, that the process is iterative so that you're using research data all along the way to make your intervention better, and also that your process involves key stakeholders in really meaningful ways. So for us, our key stakeholders are students with disabilities themselves, the peers without disabilities, all of the educators kind of surrounding those peers, whether that's teachers or service providers like speech language pathologists or paraeducators, and also kids' parents. Um, so those components are going to be a really big part of the work that we're doing over the next four years. Um, I'll talk a little more about what those components actually look like, but before I do, I'll add that this is an exciting grant for me because it's an early career award. So what that means is as part of this, I not only get to kind of work on the research side of things, but also on a career development plan for myself that's really integrated with this research plan aimed at really equipping me long term to do this sort of work. 
And so there's kind of three goals there on that side of things. And one is around really digging into measurement related issues. So there's all sorts of, of um, really challenges and questions, but also emerging understanding about how to best measure language and communication skills for this population. Uh, the second is around implementation science, which is a whole other body of research aimed around moving research into practice in ways that are really effective. And in particularly interest in using mixed method research within that implementation science framework. So going back to kind of how we're actually going to do this work, our research plan is, is split into kind of two development phases and then a pilot study. So for the next year and a half, our focus is on peers and the peers who will be participating in these types of interventions. Our goal is really to design, but also test out and make better materials and ways of supporting peers to understand things like belonging and friendship generally, but also then to really have specific strategies that they can use to scaffold and support really rich, positive interaction when they play with their classmate with autism. Some of the things we're gonna focus on teaching peers are things like how to balance play turns. So when they're playing, how to really actually follow the lead of that child with autism how to really enhance the language environment during play by balancing talk turns and by using AAC, so things like speech generating devices, as not just a way for the child with autism to communicate, but really as a shared means of communication among kids with and without disabilities. And also because kids with autism who are non-speaking communicate in all sorts of ways, through their body movements, through their gestures, through their non-word vocalizations, these things can be really hard for peers to know that it's in fact ways of sending messages. And so to really help peers notice all those ways that their classmate is communicating and to be able to respond to those with speech and AEC. We picked these things because they're really gonna help support and scaffold social interaction, but they keep peers clearly out of teaching roles. So our aim isn't to turn kids without disabilities into teachers or tutors for their classmates with disabilities, but instead to help support reciprocity and mutual engagement. Uh, kind of more quickly than the second year and a half. So after that first year and a half, the second year and a half is really focused on educators. So identifying how to best support those educators, not just in implementing these play sessions with peers, but to really embed support both within and outside of that context to help kids develop skills, social skills, communication skills, and also play skills. And then the four-year project really culminates in a pilot study, which in our case will be a smaller scale randomized control trial. So involving a group of children who receive kind of the full intervention and also kids um, who are assigned to a control condition where they don't so that we can really understand, um, understand the differences. All throughout this, we're embedding lots of interviews to really get in-depth understanding about not just what this looks like experimentally, but really like what do people think about this intervention and how can we use their input in really authentic ways to make it better. So those stakeholders will include the kids with and without disabilities, as well as their educators and parents to really help us know how to make the intervention better. Thanks for sharing. That is I think exciting to hear all of the smaller pieces that really come together to form this project and this grant. Um, 
So a question that I think is maybe on a lot of our minds right now with lots of different things is how is COVID or the pandemic in general, how has it impacted um, this project? Yeah. So on one hand, receiving a grant like this during a global health crisis is quite intimidating. There's so much to navigate, but it's also really motivating. So Emily, you've been involved in this other research that we've been doing where we've been hearing a lot from parents of kids with disabilities who have complex communication needs. And I don't know about for you, but for me, one of the things that has really resonated about their stories and their experiences is hearing their concerns over and over again about worrying that their child's not getting time with peers, worrying about kind of this lack of experiences with other peers, chances to relate to peers, and worrying about the impact that has on their kids in terms of quality of life and also their development. And I think this is really true for kids with disabilities, and it's also really true for kids without disabilities. And so this type of intervention has clearly always been important and it's always been a big gap or a big need for our field. But for me, that feels even more evident now, like even more important now. So navigating the murky waters of doing applied research in schools during a pandemic with COVID restrictions is quite intimidating and there's so many things for us to navigate. Uh, But it's also uh, rewarding in a way to really be thinking about social outcomes during this particular time. And so I think our goals are really just to navigate that well, where we, you know, make each decision with clear priorities of health and well-being for students and educators in mind all along the way. I would definitely agree. I think the work we've done over this past year has really highlighted the importance of supporting inclusion and belonging and friendship and all of these different things for our students. Um, So I know that this grant is just getting started, but there is some pilot data. Uh, So what have you learned so far? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're just getting started. And so our main focus now is really on building these relationships with schools and districts and educators so that we can do this work developing materials. Uh, But even though we're just getting started, we've also been doing this work for a little bit of time with our pilot work. The pilot study, I think, did a couple things. One is it gave us some really promising data about the potential impact of this type of intervention, especially for kids who are using augmentative and alternative communication or AAC. So on one hand, it just really, I think, showed us that this can be quite promising and that this is is worth our time and is a good thing to pursue, seeing some nice positive outcomes from that pilot study. But it also, I think, helped highlight some areas where we might really want to dig in more. And so that pilot research really informed what we're trying to tackle in this larger project. So the focus on younger children and kind of wanting to enhance these relationships and interactions early on. Um, Again, the focus on this particular population, so kids with autism who do have complex communication needs. And also I think two other pieces, one is doing even more work to really equip peers to know how to be responsive communication partners and also to have fun and feel comfortable doing it. And then to enhance kind of what I'd call the intensity of the intervention, when it comes to skill development. So in our case, we're gonna try to do that by really focusing on equipping educators to using these high quality strategies to promote communication and play skills within the context of those interactions with peers and also outside of it. So by enhancing that intensity of the intervention, kind of adding this component, uh, we hope that it will have even more impact, not just on kind of 
supporting social interactions in a particular context, but really on building skills. The other component of the pilot research that I think is really um, interesting and, and honestly has made a, a really profound impact on, on me personally in this work is that we did a bunch of interviews with the peers from that pilot study and asked them about how they thought about friendship, how they thought about friendship with any friend and also with that student with a disability. And what we learned from that is that these peers who didn't have disabilities, they thought about friendship and friendship development in many similar ways across their different friendships. So with a friend with a disability and also with a friend who didn't have a disability. But one really critical factor seemed to play a role in whether those friendships actually looked reciprocal or whether they looked a lot more like helping relationships. And that factor was kind of how these kids made meaning of disability. So what they thought their friend's disability meant. And so the, the peers without disabilities who could really see their friend's strengths, not just their areas of need and who could also kind of articulate that they saw a disability as a natural part of human diversity and that they saw that diversity in other ways too, those kids tended to have much more reciprocal types of friendships, the types of relationships we would hope to promote. Uh, whereas other kids perhaps felt like disability was something negative or they were scared to talk about it. And those kids tended, I think, to focus more on the areas of need that their friend had and ways that they needed to give help rather than seeing it as reciprocal. That really impacted me to help me think about, you know, how can we help support kids and really actually explicitly teach kids friendship skills that can help them see the strengths of their classmates with disabilities, value those strengths and approach those relationships um, as, as an equal playing field and as a mutual relationship rather than a helping relationship. I had not heard that piece about the interview data. That's really interesting to me to see the way that's informing how we're thinking about teaching about friendship. Uh, that's just really interesting to me. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the potential impact of this work. So really why it matters in the lives of individuals with disabilities and their families. Uh, so what impact could this have for students with disabilities? Yeah, so our focus on these students with disabilities, we're really interested in impact in those same two main areas that I keep referencing. So kind of giving them access to reliable ways of communicating with others uh, and also supporting inclusion and belonging, particularly through their relationships with peers. So we plan to measure kind of a large set of outcomes related to the kids with disabilities. The first and kind of most proximal or immediate to the intervention is really just the frequency and quality of social interaction and engagement with their peers who are in the network. But obviously, we wouldn't really just want to impact only that. And so we also want to look at social interaction and engagement with peers who are outside of the network. We're also going to look at things like peer acceptance and friendship more broadly, including by using techniques called sociometric scales to try to understand what social networks and classrooms look like and where the kids uh, with disabilities fit within those networks. And then finally, we'll look at skill development. So how is this intervention impacting things like joint engagement skills, communication skills, and language skills of the students with disabilities? And when we think about language, really including not just speech, um, but also AAC, so use, for example, of speech generating devices. What impact could this have for schools more broadly? So this could include like students without disabilities and also their teachers. 
Yeah. Thanks for that question, Emily. Cause I do think, although our primary focus is on the kids with autism, we also think that these types of interventions can have a really profound impact on other people in the school. So starting with those peers, we hope that this sort of intervention can help promote understanding and acceptance of their classmates with disabilities and also really help these young children gain friends and friendship skills that will also positively impact their own development and well-being. When it comes to educators, I think we see that many educators really struggle to know how to support these students well, particularly in these areas. And so we hope that this could equip them with really practical and effective ways to accomplish strong social outcomes for these kids. Our aim along the way is again, to really hear the input of educators and making this feasible and useful in schools. And then to have kind of public facing things that are freely accessible and easy for educators to use to implement this intervention in their classrooms and in their schools. And at the school-wide level, I think we hope to see that it might uh, take a small step towards really promoting uh, a culture of inclusion and belonging school-wide. What impact do you think this research could have in your field? How might it push related research forward? Yeah, that's such an interesting question too. So I mentioned, Emily, that I get to pursue some of my own development around implementation science and mixed methods research. And I think that's probably what I'm most excited uh, to pursue and also most excited that it might push our field forward. So the special education field has really been dominated by quantitative traditions for research and honestly, for good reason. We wanna know if things work for kids and if they have an impact on, on real world outcomes. And so things like randomized controlled trials are really the gold standard to understand if an intervention works. But if an intervention doesn't work in practice, like if it isn't picked up by schools or sustained and used well by real teachers and real schools or real service providers in real schools, then I'm not sure it really matters if it works in that controlled research setting. So I think outside of the special education field, we've seen this increasing focus and interest in implementation science uh, generally, and also specifically on the role of mixed method research within implementation science. I would love to see lots more dialogue and movement in that area within the special education field as well. Um, and I'm excited to be able to learn from outside fields and hopefully bring some of that into our field and into my own line of research as well. I think I can echo that just being a part of research in general in your lab. I was not familiar with mixed methods and it's been really interesting to see the value of that. Are there any policy implications for this research? You know, I don't think there are yet simply because of where we're at in really being early stages of this research. But I do think that if, you know, if things are quite successful and if our outcome data are, are strong, then I think it does have important implications for school district policy and also for state policy around issues of inclusion and also how resources are allocated to help support these types of outcomes in schools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I get to ask you a question now, I which I'm excited. So. Yeah. So Emily, you've been working uh, with me and in our research lab and in this work, and you're also starting to be a teacher. What do you hope would come out of this work? Yeah, I think a lot of the things that I'm hopeful for are really similar to what we've already talked about through my coursework and my time in practicum and student teaching in my undergrad. I think something that I've really come to value is inclusion. 
Um, and really similarly to what we've already said, inclusion as being more than just, you know, being physically present in a classroom as a child with a disability, but to have meaningful interactions and outcomes um, and relationships that are built among students with and without disabilities. And so I'm really excited for this study because I think that's really the heart of what we're doing is trying to think about how we can support friendship and belonging and acceptance and to see that relationship formed between students with and without disabilities. I think another thing that I'm really excited about is the focus that we have on thinking about how to practically equip teachers. I know from undergrad, I have classmates now who are teaching and talk to me a lot about how they maybe want to do everything they can to support their students, but feel overwhelmed or unsure. And um, I think thinking about interventions that are really practical and applicable for teachers is one of the most important things we could do. So I'm really hopeful that this will be something that um, can support us in that way as well. That's so exciting to hear, Emily. Thanks. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to share about Enhanced Peer Networks? You know, I feel like I don't have much else to say, but this has been just so much fun talking with you about this. And I'm so excited for our work. Thanks for all of your own work on these projects. And um, I feel kind of honored to be entrusted with the resources to do this work and just really dedicated um, that this will help us understand how to best support really good social outcomes in schools for kids with autism who do have complex communication needs. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to see what happens with the study and to get to be a part of it. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and to talk with me today about uh, this project. I know that I really enjoyed getting to hear more about it um, and I'm excited to see the impact that it has. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for listening to The Promise of Discovery. Be sure to visit the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center website at vkc.vumc.org to learn more about today's episode. And tune in next time for more on the innovative research and intellectual and developmental disabilities from the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center.